Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. On today's show, more unprecedented times for the WSL as a record-breaking crowd, controversial point, piled into the Emirates on Saturday to see Arsenal win 4-0. We'll talk about that. Another record-breaking crowd at Anfield and a load of other WSL stories. We'll also look into the latest developments in Spain as 15 national team players refuse to play until changes are made. We'll be doing all that alongside another special guest this week. We're delighted to be joined by the head of brand for Football Beyond Borders and Dulwich Hamlet centre-back, Salon Andy Hickman. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Wow. Yeah, go on. Feels like a big moment, guys. It is. It was a big moment. That was a big hype, yeah. wasn't it? That, that, was, was, that was good. Yeah, thank you. I feel like I'm with royalty. Oh, uh, in this, in well, this, well, in these, Stop in these it. seats, what? in this room with you two, humble oh, old us. Wow, no, the you're the bank. soundtrack to my Euros, guys. Oh, Jesus! Oh my God, that's, that's the nicest that thing is, anyone's ever said. That's well emotional. Don't try and butter us up, all right? Because it's it's only going to pay. It's, it's going to come back on you, really. Because the first thing I really want to talk about. I mean, it's been a really controversial week for the country as a whole. Mm. We've obviously lost a monarch. Mm. We've got fucking Liz Truss in. Don't. Um, you know, we've had a ridiculous. Mini budget. Everyone's really happy about that. What a shit show. It's not a real budget. It's just turning everything into shit. That's it's all. a fake budget it for count. the 1%. And it's everything a, goes tits up. And it's, it's a fun. fucking joke. But we won't get into too much politics today. But in terms of controversy for... Controversy? <laughs> controversy for the women's football community. Obviously, the WSL was postponed. We had loads of upsets last week. And then this week... Big issue. We come in and find that Salon's actually... You know, you've given away a penalty for Dulwich Hamlet Incorrect. this week. Sent off. Incorrect. Uh, she I was sent will off. not have that slander. That's she just got the sent. mainstream this media is, talking shit. It's not shit. as bad. It's not as bad as that. She just got sent off. I yeah. Just, I got straight, straight red. red. Oh. Straight red. Which then led to a free kick on the edge of the box. Oh, it was a free kick? Which they then scored. I mean, mm. talk, well, us, can you talk us through the savage tackle you made, please. It was, n- <sighs> it was probably the most pathetic red card. I've never had a red card for mm. one, so it was my first ever straight red. Sound quite defensive already. Yeah. She is a defender. Mm. If I was... If this was a post-match interview, I'd just be trying to talk through tears, being like, it wasn't fair, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so pathetic. Um, she, one, she was offside. Two, um, she's, she's, she's got a head start, hasn't she? She's offside. I'm running back. She's in on goal. My other centre-back is also to her left. I'm on the right. She kind of goes to shoot. And I sort of trip slash fall onto her back, and she falls as well. You fell on her. 
So you flattened her. Exactly. <laughs> she was a through on goal and you flattened her. But it's so pathetic. Like, I wish I got it for just like some two footer or a headbutt or something. But no, I got it for like tripping up accidentally on You wish you'd at least taken out her ACL or MCL, <laughs> basically, before that happened. No, we don't but want that. We well, never I don't wish want that, that on anyone. Yeah. I don't wish that on anyone, but... It... Millwall are a horrible club, aren't they? So. They've always been difficult to play. I mean, the name precedes the reputation, really. It's a um, bit of a beast. Mm. But at least, you know, you came off the better for it, really, <laughs> physically, not not for the team, obviously. Should we no. move uh, swiftly on to another super London club? Yes. Like yourselves. London Derby. What London Derby? There was a London Derby this weekend. I mean... Didn't you hear? What? Up you north? Hear? North London Derby. Uh, which one? There was... Uh... Quite a lot of people in the stadium as well, Chloe. Quite really, you yeah. Like you, re- she like, wasn't there. That's why too like busy with Crystal Palace. That's why it record- was record breaking. No, yes. no, 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 no. Don't talk to me about numbers. What was what was the why forty seven thousand three hundred sixty seven fans at the Emirates? They sold over fifty two thousand tickets and forty seven thousand people turned up, which is great. It's more than nearly nine thousand over the previous record of thirty eight thousand and change, which was at Spurs. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So yeah, I feel a bit bitter that that was beaten. Uh, I was a part of that, and now I feel like I'm not. A part oh, of you're Australia cast anymore. aside now, so it's a memory. Just a bit of dust in the yeah. wind. Yeah, yeah. No one will ever remember that game as well now. Yeah, gosh, that's really heartwarming. Thank you for that. We only remember things when lots of people turn up for them. Well, I'm, I'm going to say something a bit controversial. Go here. on. Um, are, is it actually a record? Because according to BBC News and loads of BBC historians who must have gone through. So many archives. Uh, 1920, there was 50,000 people at Goodison Park watching Dick Her Ladies. Um, Isn't so, it funny that we're still paying for being banned for 50 years? Yeah. Um, we're still not there. Like, still we, not there. like If you talk about progress, people think that progress is like an automatic thing when you move forward, forward. through yeah, history. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. But actually, we've moved quite considerably backwards. We've well, we just were just back caught up. We were held in place for a very long time. <laughs> not allowed <laughs> to move at all. Not like the FA to do that. Oh, lads, come on then. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, let's talk about the game. Let's actually talk about the game because it was, um, I mean, Arsenal did all right, didn't they? They did all right. Um, But Spurs also, I didn't feel like they turned up. I think I was expecting more from Spurs and Arsenal had free reign to do pretty much what the hell they liked. Bar, Ash Neville doing some pretty decent defending. Apart from that, Spurs were nowhere to be seen. Yeah, I I feel like for a, a team that, overperformed last season I mean we're only two games in right so we don't just get too stressed but they're they underperformed I feel for the players that they had uh, in the squad and like you said they just didn't really turn up to the game Arsenal did not let them get a foothold in the game or to implement any kind of game plan it was just like basically game plan was try to manage Arsenal and yeah you touched on Ash Neville and she was she was really really good I think without her it would have been a, definitely a couple more goals for sure Ash Neville had to defend against Arsenal and seemingly her own team she was just like, having, <laughs> having to do quite a lot of work, wasn't she, in that, in, in her own box. Like, there were times where I think the ball was just bouncing and bouncing around and it would be like, Ash Neville clears it, hits a Spurs player. Ash Neville clears it, hits a Spurs player, goes out for a corner. And she's just like, you know, you know, in those moments you look around, you're like, is there any, anyone going to help? Could someone? <laughs> just me? Someone step in, please. Um, and it wasn't even like they were getting sort of much, even though defensively it was a pretty poor show. They weren't really getting much success up front on the attacks. It felt like... Every time they seem to get a uh, some kind of passage of play, Arsenal would just smother, completely dominate the midfield. Um, you know, and I think you know Rianne Skinner was a little bit hampered maybe by the fact that she only had five subs, uh, hampered by a few injuries and things. But you know, no subs coming on at half time after a pretty poor first half performance. I think tactically that seemed to not go down well either. 
Yeah, I just it didn't feel like they had an answer, to be honest. Um, but also, I think Arsenal are starting to click now. I think first couple of games we've seen from them, you can see it's almost there, but like they're kind of 95% of the way there. They're, the passes aren't maybe quite clicking um, and they have looked a little bit shaky in defence when things have been sent back that way. Like in the Brighton game, there are a few hairy moments, but I feel like things are starting to click now and I feel like they rose to the occasion. I think being at the Emirates, having 47,000 plus behind them they actually really relish that whereas I think it had the opposite effect on Spurs I don't think they actually had to do that much to get a 4-0 win I, no I was quite bored for a lot of the <laughs> Whoa, game wow I mean bold were you, were you not bored for a lot of the game no I was having Which... a lot of stress at my camera so that kept me distracted <laughs> oh, okay. fine well as a spectator so it was 2-0 at half time I actually missed Rafa's goal coming back out it's a great goal the where, where were you I was, just, I was just in the... She was in the posh seats. Just a, in right. the lounge bit. Just looking the other way. That was yeah. nice. Nice right. big chicken burgers. Oh, nice. All no, right. They were actually pre-game, weren't they? Yeah, really, I missed them. They were monstrous. It was really hard to get through. But anyway... <laughs> they, um, <laughs> we digress. There was... Yeah, it didn't feel like this fluid, really attacking Arsenal team. It was just, you know, get the ball into Caitlin Ford. She'd hold it up a little bit, play someone off, might, might materialise in a half chance. Like, it wasn't there's still so much more to come. I yeah, think, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and, but you mentioned Caitlin Ford there. I thought she was brilliant. I mean, Kim Little and I thought Katie McCabe had a, a really good game. Katie McCabe managed not to get a yellow card. I thought we it was incredible in North London oh, Derby. But Caitlin Ford for me was a difference. Um, we touched on it. I can't remember if it was the last episode or when we touched on it, but I felt like during the Ajax game, Lena Hurtig was playing left wing and it just doesn't suit her and there was no real width against them. Whereas Caitlin Ford offers that width, offers that speed and that pace when she's playing that winger position. Um, so she was great. She was doing all the dirty work, maybe not getting the credit for that dirty work, um, going back, making the tackles, setting players up. So I thought she stood out um, and I'm glad that she started that match. I think she needs to start against Ajax. I thought it was wicked as well it was then to be able to bring on Blackstonius because when mm. she came on, I was like, okay, this, is, this is Arsenal. This is the depth. Like this is, And then we'll throw in Hurtig as well. Just, why you know, not? Exactly. Yeah. But Let's when you start, down. start seeing Blackstonius running in behind against the tiring Spurs defence, I thought, actually, after the first goal, I was like, this is going to be a bloodbath. And then I was quite disappointed when it was quite slow in terms of the goals building up but when Blackstonius came on I was like right now we're going to go for it but you know yeah, Ash time. Neville probably that's the reason why. Ash Neville <laughs> and that haircut you know what she's always had it Ash she's an icon she won't change it it's she, kind of that, that Lego haircut and she won't mind me saying that because we used to call her Lego yeah. haircut back in the day it's like um, a Tony and Guy model the like, amount of hairspray that kid goes through is a joke yeah. I think she should be sponsored by like I don't know what do you like Elnet or whatever it, mm. it doesn't move no it's solid no it's how she sleeps in it as well it's just like a, <laughs> just a helmet yeah just a full on helmet um no, but I think you touched on it there. It did feel like, you know, Arsenal came out strong and they got their goals and then they kind of settled into it because they knew that, that was just enough to get them that that win. Um, and obviously to come back off, um, you know, last week's game as well. So I think, um, you know, it was a strong, strong all-round performance from them. And I think they needed that ahead of the Ajax game because it is all to play for in the second leg. Champions League it was 2-2 mm -hmm. last week. They should have won it, um, but they were shaky in the first half. Much better second half from them, but they should have put the game to bed and now it all rests on an away match in Amsterdam tomorrow um, and you don't necessarily want your Champions League kind of hanging in the balance like that so I think they needed an emphatic win at the weekend to really boost their confidence going into that Confidence boost the one for Arsenal then? Yeah for sure 
Absolutely. Um, and I think, I mean, when you look at kind of the disparity then between Arsenal and Spurs and, and that game, I think it really did expose some of the weaknesses of Spurs and how big that gap is between, you know, middle of the table teams or even sort of middle bottom of the table teams and a team like Arsenal. They didn't look like they were in the same league at points. I don't know. I'd slightly disagree because I think Spurs underperformed. Okay. And I think they can be better. We saw them being much better last season in those those instances. Um, and I do think, not that it was necessarily a, a once-off, but I do think they can perform better against um, the top teams, the top four teams, if you like. I just think it was a bad day at the office for them. But then how do you think they're going to bridge that gap? Because it just felt like there were gaps, you know, from the back line all the way through to the front line. I didn't think that there were, it was a competitive game at all. Yeah, but I, I also think that that's a bad day. We saw a lot of the bulk of that team perform last season against big, cl- big mm-hmm. clubs and, you know, take points off big clubs. They could do it last season. I just don't think they were on it yesterday, and I think it was a bad day. I expect an awful lot more from them. All right, you didn't put you didn't put Spurs as your dark horse, did you? Was it your yeah, dark horse? I did. thanks. For oh, that's why you're. How can you say that when you got raped to Daly at Villa? I, I said it. Gosh. I'm not going to apologise. Put a flagpole in the sand, and here it was. Who was your dark horse? Uh, Man United. Wasn't that oh, your? I think they're just going to become third. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that... no. it wasn't really a dark horse. It was more like a mainstream view, but. Uh... <laughs> It is and what it is. Your top goal score was Alatoon, right? Yeah. Mm. How many she scored? <clears throat> Moving swiftly on. Mm. <laughs> All right, so we've got to move on then to our next uh, derby. I mean, Liverpool, Everton. Everton, three, nil. Three big goals against Liverpool, uh, which I kind of wasn't expecting. I was a little bit disappointed with Liverpool. I thought they were quite flat. They missed a couple of really decent opportunities, which could have completely changed the game. You know, I'd been giving it absolutely massive beans in the last couple of podcasts about, you know, how strong I thought their squad was, how well they'd selected and recruited this year. You know, you've got Matt Beard back in, sort of bringing this kind of like, you know, really bulky kind of personality to, to things. What, what, what's the, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Calling someone's personality bulky. Yeah, for the years he's like a bit of a kind of like a stalwart of the game, isn't he, Matt Beard? Just, you know, an absolute geese, WSL geese. Um and I just think they absolutely fell flat. And I think it was those missed opportunities. I think it could have completely altered the game. And I just don't think that was good enough. They weren't critical enough. And and that was something that we had seen in the previous game uh, last week. And it didn't seem to kind of come to fruition this week. I feel like first game of the season, there was no pressure on them. They were coming up against like the, the winners of the previous league. Um, so they probably felt the pressure was off. Whereas it felt like this game had so much more pressure, it being a derby at Anfield. Um, We saw a clip just before he came in of them singing You'll Never Walk Alone right as they were huddling. And it just felt like the occasion massively got to them. Um, They were slow to start. Those misses from Stengel and Holland were just, that could have been game changing. Mm. Um, But also I think credit to Everton. You know, you could kind of see... You could see the beginnings of what um, Brian Sorensen was trying to do when they played West Ham, but it just, again, wasn't quite clicking, which is understandable in the first game of the season. But it, it was it was flowing now from Jess Park was brilliant. Um, but you could see that the type of kind of attacking style of football that they were, they were trying to play. And um, yeah, they just took all of their opportunities. I think there's more, more weight should be applied to the reverse of... So not the home team having the occasion and it getting into their heads, but actually what that occasion does for the away side. And I think you probably had, like you mentioned, with the Chelsea game. They're going away, no expectations. And they are, you know, against champions, right? So they're just like, well, we could really give this a go. If we lose, we lose. Everton would have had exactly the same thing. We're going to absolutely give this a go. Look at this stadium. Look at how much everyone here wants us to lose. Let's go for it. And I think that is like the... 
the marginal gain, like the advantage. Because mm-hmm. if you're not used to playing every week with the home crowd, and ha- that that being behind you is like these. This is our oh god, I'm gonna. This is our twelfth woman. You know, the, oh nice, <laughs> that's what you did there. Yeah, yeah an but, original. That stupid <laughs> Heineken T-shirt. How you read that? Oh my god, this pod isn't sponsored by Heineken, is it? Not anymore. It's not. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that ended today. Oh god. <laughs> Anyway. No, it's actually not. <laughs> it's not Don't worry. Fun. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, everyone's got Harry Redknapp in that T-shirt. Right <laughs> but, that, that, you know, if you're not used to using that within your armour and your team talks and your prep is like, this is our home side, mm-hmm. then it's so much easier for the away team to use it in their armour and just be like, cool, all right, we're just going to absolutely mug you off because we can do it in front of this many people and there's no pressure on us. And then that's what Everton did and they mm. absolutely loved it. The goal celebrations. They were, were amazing. Like, doing that in front of the cop. I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan. Scoring in front of the cop would just be incredible. But doing it in an Everton shirt and then celebrating in front of the Oh my God. The celebrations Mental. were big. I like shithouse reality. It's finest, yeah. isn't it? That? And also there was like a great clip. I think it was after the third goal of Brian Sorensen like um, coming in with his whole team. Like they were so, so up for it. And I, oh, I fucking loved it. I think it's, um, I don't know. I mean, I kind of looking at that, I think you might be right. I think, um, you know, you've got to kind of use the the mentality that you have with those crowds and it can act as a disadvantage against you because the pressure is just so much. And I think, you know, a lot of those players will have never seen a crowd like that before. I mean, 27,574 fans. We even had three pitch invaders who did their best to stall things. Um, and that didn't help Liverpool either. Um, I think for me, they're sort of the main problems were they seemed to be at the back. They looked wobbly. They looked very, very shaky. Um, and I think that was kind of present in the game last week as well. But I don't think, you know, they, they, they sort of, um, they were punished for that. But I think it, it was those missed chances. And yeah, Jess Parker thought she was absolutely unreal. I mean, everyone kind of knew Rounding that. Rounding the keeper. It was Incredible. just, I mean, the footwork, the, it, it was just the cool, calm, collected. You thought she was going to go one way, she went the other way. And then Rachel Laws was absolutely sold a dream. And that for me, like Rachel Laws, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be fuming. I'd the be benefit fuming. of the tape, there was a fist involved. Yeah. A small, aggressive punch <laughs> that I would never do to a player. No, of course, no. On purpose. You just fall on them, <laughs> sit on them. Yeah, um, that's the way forward, isn't it? Jess Park did say that Brian Sorensen told her to go and play with freedom, mm. and I do think I, we saw that. Like she's so young, and she just played with no fear. Mm. Um, and I think it was such a good loan move from Man City for her because she's going to get game time. She's going to be a key and important player for Everton, and that's going to massively boost her confidence. And with skills like that, like all you need is a bit of confidence and a bit of game time, and you know you're away. She's going to be an absolute danger mm. for Everton. I think. Um, yeah, Everton, I feel like a bit of a mixed bag. Like they've not had the best of seasons for the past couple of years. And I feel like bringing in a player like that, who is so dynamic, who can, you know, compete, you know, with really experienced players who doesn't mind the crowd, doesn't seem to phase by the occasion in, in whatsoever. And is quite how like quite happy just to skip around your players for fun. Like that's big for Everton. That's exciting. How I don't always think it's uh, as well. 18, 19. 18 and 19, yeah. See, that's wicked, isn't it? That she's gonna be used to playing at that occasion and it's just going to be chill and it's just going to be like cool I, can, I know I can go and play in front of those crowds it is what it is score. she's yeah. 20 she's 20 yeah Jeez. 20 years old and, and doing that in front of 27,000 people at Anfield that's also an experience now that will be ingrained in her mm. and she'll be able to use and draw on for the rest of her career is like well I did that then so this occasion's not really going to get to me piece of piss it's wicked isn't it <laughs> give me 40,000 fans I saw this week as well on Twitter I think Leah Williamson said to yes, Lauren Hem. I loved that. She just went up to her during the Euros in one of the games and just said, just play with your heart, not with your head. And then Lauren said that was the moment that just was like, okay, cool. She said that's the best advice she's ever been given. Oh, God. It's similar to the Jess Hand comment. Isn't that just amazing? Yeah, play with your heart, not with your head. That's what you want for your captain, isn't it? That's a mosh. It's beautiful. 
Jesus Christ. All right, let's... Oh. I mean, that's... Should we do the pod with our heart, not with our head? No, we always be... do. <laughs> do we? Nothing about this is logical. <laughs> actually, yeah, no, to be fair. That's why we come up with this. I uh... think we could do with more head, actually. Maybe. To be fair. Yeah. Um, let's think about it a bit more before we open our mouths. 100%. We just stick a mic in front of us and we just go... <laughs> yeah, it's like a brain fart. This entire pod is a brain fart of 45 minutes worth of like some football knowledge and also just pure waffle. Um, so jumping back then quickly just to, you know, Matt Beard after the game, sort of looking back on it. I felt disappointed. Matt Beard felt disappointed. Uh, his comments, I'm disappointed with how we started. It was slow. We looked scared. We have to learn how to deal with these types of stadiums and crowds. Everton took full advantage of that. So, yeah, I think they're comments shared by by all of us, really. We really echoed Matt, Matt Beard's sentiments there. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be one of his players in the dressing room after no. a game like that. I'd be terrified. I, I don't think I'd go to the dressing room. I'd just head home <laughs> after actually, that. I'm, yeah. in, I'm in the car with my mum. Yeah, on yeah. the way home. I think, I think they'll be all right. I think they'll learn massively from it. And I think Matt Beard has experienced that with teams before. So yeah. I think they'll they'll learn from it and move on. I don't think they'll think dwell too like much. A, he's a bollocking manager, isn't he? Do you reckon? I'm, yeah. I, I'm a player who needs an arm around the shoulder. And I need a like... Look, you know what wasn't good enough in that game, but I still love you and I still care about you. Did you you. get that on Sunday? (laughs) Uh, I actually did. I went up to the manager and said, I'm really sorry about that. And he said, why are you apologising? What? Is he not watching? He said, why are you apologising? I was like, I want to think she was off Did you see what I did? (laughs) You didn't even realise you weren't on the pitch anymore. (laughs) (laughs) My other assistant manager said, you know, if you'd done it in the box, it probably would have been a pen and a yellow card. Yeah, fair. You could have said, sorry, I'll I'll, I'll trip up somewhere else next time. But just sort of like getting back to the kind of big crowd situations. Like obviously at Dulwich Hamlet, you guys get a fairly decent amount of people come down to the games. Do you feel like that sort of impacts how you play? Is it something you take on board? Or are you one of these people who can shut the crowd out? Like how does it feel when, you, when you've got sort of a big big attendance down, the, down um, the stadium? I think the point I made earlier about the like underdog mindset, I think people come to us and they really want to beat us because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, look at you, your fancy set up and your Peter Crouch on the board and your fans singing your songs and your pink and blue Jack Wills scarves. I think that's what people come and they're like. Oh, they're nice though. The colourway is very nice. They are nice. Yeah. They are nice. But it, people come down and they're like, right, we want to we sh- show them. Mm-hmm. And I think we're learning to use that crowd as an advantage to us. Um, the crowd's never horrible. The crowd never wants to get onto us. The crowd will absolutely go for it when we make a massive challenge or something like that. And that's wicked and you can feel that. But there was a game a few years ago I played against, I was actually playing the reserves about three seasons ago and we played against Clapton. Mm-hmm. And They've got a big following as well, haven't they? Clapton have got the big following. And there's a rivalry between Dulwich and Clapton because they're both supposedly the self-acclaimed, self-proclaimed left-wing clubs of London. The left-wing like clubs lefty, of London? The lefty non-league clubs of London. You know? Not trust fans. right? <laughs> Not trust fans. And also just sort of like, you know, I think Clapton are more like, anti-fascist ultras and I wow. think and I think they think like of Dulwich most clubs should be just to throw that in <laughs> they think of Dulwich as like Guardian reading avocado eating you know like posh Ooh, middle class yeah, yeah, right? there was so much like layers of context oh yeah a lot of this is know. my <laughs> your interpretation yeah. right so there's this, there's, this, there's this rivalry that happens but the men's team haven't played each other for years because they're not in the same divisions but then the women's team the reserves were playing against Clapton first and we went away to Clapton and it was mental. There was like 500 fans on the touchline with um, drums and pyro and flares. Oh what? And flags and just constant chanting and drumming. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even hear my other centre-backs in the game. I was like screaming at people and I like, realised they just couldn't hear me. And it took a while to settle, but then we won 5-2 and it was so is... tasty. It was so much fun to win away in that game. But that, that's it. It's the waiting mentality. Yeah. Let's watch it happen this year. Obviously, it didn't work for Spurs on, on Saturday. But... Yeah, it's crazy. 
Jesus Christ, pyro. Yeah, they have flares. When we came out onto the pitch, there was red flares and pyro on the side. And also, we're not even the best bit is their home ground wasn't even ready, so it's not even a stadium. We we're on a four G. What? They couldn't even fit. You look at the pyro didn't set fire to the four oh G. Completely that. melt the melt the bloody oh, rubber crumbs. It was, good. it was good, but it was like playing in like Syria. You know, that's why I imagine it to be like douche, douche. Doosh, doosh, and people just chanting over the oh top of it. Oh my god! Jeez, I mean, I've never had that kind of experience. Like where I've played at some like some of the bigger stadiums and stuff. Like, I mean, the biggest. I mean, I mean, I'm not don't want to throw back to that that record that, that is now beaten, that broken. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a bit in, in terms of the strategy and how we prepare for that game. It was the first time we'd ever played in front of a crowd of like tens of thousands of people. Prior to that, it'd been a thousand, I think. So the step up was huge. Like the preparation for the game was. Very much a kind of psychological thing. Get ready for the game. This, you know, people, friends, family are going to be there. Press are going to be there. It's going to be huge. So, like before the games, we did like a walk around of the stadium. Got to know like the um, backroom staff. Got to kind of get a feel for like how it would be walking out of the tunnel and kind of visualize how it was going to be on the day. But strategy wise, the biggest thing for us was like you said, kind of how do you communicate with your players when you can't hear yourselves think? Like I mean, as a goalkeeper, especially you're so isolated anyway. It was a case of, okay, well, I've never dealt with a situation where I actually can't shout to my bat line and say, move up or press forward or whatever it is because they just can't hear me, mm. which makes me think that technology is going to come into play at some point and we're going to have like little headsets or whatever. Um, yeah, I think like, it's going to be an in-ear in technology type thing. You heard it here first, uh, up front, always at the front of developments in football that haven't yet existed. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a bit... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. All right, moving swiftly on then to Chelsea Man City. Chelsea walked away with a 2-0 win thanks to a Kirby and Mildy goal. Um, yeah, packed out Kings Meadow. Great little atmosphere. Um, obviously, both clubs have failed to pick up points in the opening weekend of the WSL. There was a lot to play for regaining some kind of status uh, this weekend. Um, didn't really go to, uh, you know, I mean, initially I thought that Chelsea had 
the better chances. I mean, within like 12 seconds, I think it was, there was a massive Kerr-Kirby link-up play in the box. And I thought, you know what, City are going to fall apart again. But they didn't. Um, but there were a couple of defensive errors from City that, that weren't that weren't too great. What, what were your guys' thoughts on the game? I thought City were all right, actually. Credit where it's due, they were much better than they were against Villa. I thought they were unlucky not to get a couple of goals themselves. I thought they put Chelsea's defence under a lot of pressure. Bunny Shaw was excellent in the first half. Um, second half, it tailed off a bit. It just felt like they couldn't get the ball to her enough. Uh, but I thought she really put Buchanan and Bright under pressure. Um, I thought Hemp and, and Kelly played well. You know, there were some big saves from Berger. There were some big blocks from mm. defence and from... It was a little bit haphazard at times, I thought, actually, in the Chelsea defence. Um, bodies on the line kind of thing. But it, you know what? It worked. That's the main thing. Um, so I I do want to give them credit because I do think they they were much more composed and much better attacking. And they had five shots compared to Chelsea's three. So Chelsea had 12 shots on target, uh, 12 shots and three on target and um, City created 15 with five on target. So they are creating the chances and I I think that bodes well for them going forward. But yeah, it's the defence that's that's a bit prob- you know problematic and a bit shaky and, and you put them under pressure and you know, the fact that Chelsea didn't create more shots on target is probably a blessing for Man City. Mm. Um which I don't know, that's something I'm sure that Chelsea gonna are gonna look at is is their chance creation because there's not been um what maybe what, what we're used to. Uh, but you touched on Mielda scoring. She was I thought she did really, really well managing Lauren Hemp actually. She kind of man marked her, I think, and just followed her around the pitch and, and it worked really well and um really pleased to see her back and scoring a bloody emphatic penalty. Yeah, it was a beast. Yeah, I'd recommend mm. finding that and watching it back. It was it was brilliant. But I I do think there's lots of positives for Gareth Taylor to take away from that. Oh, a positive review of Gareth Taylor. Listen, credit where it's due. Unheard of in this booth. Uh Salam, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, Berger deserved a lot of credit for for her performance. I mean, from a goalkeeper's perspective, we also reference the Unreal. fact that she's come back. So she had you know thyroid cancer a number of years mm. ago, and she had a recurrence of that yep. in August. Yeah, I wasn't and, expecting her to be back. And this she's scene. back. She went. She had treatment. She's this her first game back, and bloody hell, she was brilliant. Yeah. Well, it was. Um, I think those two saves that she pulled out in particular. It was one against Hemp. I think it was at the near court, near post, and yep. then the other one. I can't remember how the other one took place now. What was the other one? There was a couple of them that were impressive, very impressive. Yeah. There was definitely two that stood out to me, but I think, you know, if she's if if she's not there, if she's not uh, you know, saving those goals, then it then it becomes a draw. And all of a sudden the game's a completely different situation. And I think there were chances there that Man City could have walked away from that. Um but yeah, so long were your thoughts. I uh, I think it was also the weekend of the pressing a centre back to get an opportunity. Mm. We saw Sam Kerr do it against Steph Horton. It was a little bit of heart and mouth time there, wasn't that? And, uh, Steph was luckily saved. It was, wasn't a goal, um, but it happened a lot this weekend. It happened in the North London derby. It happened in Liverpool. The Manchester derby. Those two led to goals. So I was like, "Oh, it's going to round off the trio," but it didn't. What um, are your thoughts about Horson just jumping in there? What are your thoughts about a sort of longevity in that in that position, given the mistakes that have been made over the last two two games? Not to put you on the spot or anything. Literally, just put her on the spot. Yeah. It's it's hard because I read the Players Tribune article about her recovery from injury and what it felt like to not get the England call up and then to, yeah, to her, her to speak really honestly about it's what, great what this... What, yeah, it's beautiful. Everyone should read it. But to, to understand and get into her mindset of what that felt like to be a bystander in this summer and for someone who's done so much in mm-hmm. the women's game. Mm-hmm. But has she got the quality at the moment to stay in. I mean, she's got the mindset because if you read the article, it's like, I will get back to the top mm-hmm. and I, I'm going to work so hard. And she is. Um, 
but has she got the quality? And also she, she's playing in a position that there are really good other players coming through in that role as a CB in the, in the English context. But yeah, when you look at Chelsea's depth in terms of centre-backs now and you compare that to like playing a returning from injury senior Steph Horton at centre-back, like it's probably where City's vulnerabilities are going to be this season is is there uh, there's probably a lot of vulnerabilities across the this season and we'll see them exposed throughout the year but yeah I'm, I'm if if I was a City fan I probably wouldn't I'd be looking for replacements I'd Ooh. want the club no as in like you no. want the next person to come through right the younger talent to come through and play under her leadership for a bit but ultimately she's probably going to have to be I think that's very well on, put on her way very out pragmatic I also yeah, think she would have benefited from a longer pre-season for City mm. because obviously she was injured for a long time um, last season so the thing is she needs game time and you just don't get a lot of time in the WSL to, to find your feet so no. I think you know yeah I think you're right she needs I think she gets more game time she'll become a bit more solid but she also then has to deal with the fact that she knows they're missing your Kira Walters she knows the defence is seen mm. as the weak you know so you're contending with that and the fact that she's coming back to, to full fitness and full match it's fitness It's a lot on her shoulders Yeah it is a lot a lot of respect for her Yeah No I mean, she, I mean you're completely right she's obviously taken the England squad from you know, where it was, um, you know, how long ago was it now that she's, I mean, I wouldn't even like to think, that makes me feel old. But, you know, there's a transition period, isn't it, between the then and the now. Um, and I think, um, I don't know, the last couple of games, like for me, I mean, obviously I've just retired. I'm nowhere near the, the level that Steph Horton is, you know, but I think um, there's a kind of a situation of maybe leaving on a high um, of, you know, appreciating what's happened, what she's done, where she's taken the game, where she's taken the squad and, I thought that she was going to be sort of maybe moving towards or transitioning into kind of back of the back scenes type role or some kind of like ambassador for the for the club at some point. But she needs to find a high though. She needs a high. She's got to get they've got to get something this season so that she can then do it. I just think there's a danger in chasing a high. Like when you've got such a competitive squad. Oh, like, this has gone deep. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh so now, I mean, this is a great another great segue into something really Really controversial. Um, I don't know if you know this, guys, but uh, Thursday last week, 15 players each wrote to the Spanish Football Federation with identical wording. I'm uh, just going to read out what they wrote. Um, I inform you that the events have occurred and the situation that has arisen in the Spanish national team, a situation of which you are aware, are having an important effect on my emotional state and, by extension, my health. As a result, I do not currently consider myself to be in a condition to be chosen for the national team and I ask not to be called up until the situation is resolved. They asked for a firm commitment to a professional project in which all aspects are taken care of to get the best. Um, obviously, this statement, this email kind of comes off the back of, uh, you know, August, where they also, you know, raise concerns about how they've been treated, not too happy with the football setup. Uh, there were kind of suggestions around Vilda, um, but this was seemingly refused. And now they've obviously ramped that up. 15 players. These are not substitutes. These are big, big names in the squad. Um yeah, this is this is huge. My initial uh, issue with this is that this was private correspondence from the players. And now I know that they all put the exact same statement, um, but effectively talking about their health, their physical health and their emotional well-being and that kind of thing. Um, the Federation's response, I thought as well, was quite belligerent. Um, they, they, first of all, made it public and then said they will not allow players to question the continuity of the coach as taking those decisions are part of their, they're not part of their role. They claim that this was unprecedented in the history of football, which is bonkers because it's pretty much what happened with the last uh, poor manager that they had in a very similar situation. Um, it apparently goes beyond sport uh, to be a question of dignity 
Um, and they've basically been told they won't be called up. They'll only be calling up players who want to play for their national team. So really problematic response from the Federation itself. Um, not even interested in listening, sitting down, discussing the issues, which have been brought up multiple times. This isn't just out of left field. This isn't some surprise. And it's not just one player. And it's not just one player. It's the majority. It's the bulk of the team. Um, and it's issues that they've had for a long time. I think it's worth as well saying what the context of it is for people who maybe don't know why they're doing this. Because mm-hmm. I, I think what's dangerous about this story and what's dangerous about the narrative is that if you don't know the context, people can just jump on and be like, who do these entitled women think they are? Which is basically to, what the Spanish press have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, try, trying to oust a manager. And he's been he's been in charge since 2015. Yeah. He has only ever taken them to a quarter final of a major tournament in seven years. They've never got past a, a quarter final of a major tournament. And we are talking about the best group of players in the world. If you speak to any of the Lionesses or the management team or anyone who watched them or played against them this summer, they're like, they are absolutely exceptional. They are the, the, the most technical, difficult team to play against. Obviously, England beat them. We did. We'll leave that in there. But, <laughs> just a reminder, imagine if they had a good manager. Imagine if they had a manager that they wanted to play against. Imagine if they had a manager who they believed in, trusted, felt like had their best interests at heart, felt like they had a strategy and a plan of what they were working towards. They would be, they'd be, they should be winning every Euros, every World Cup since 2015, and they haven't. So the context is they're completely underperforming. So the, I have so much respect for those 15 players. Mm-hmm. And I think what they are doing is they're saying... I'm really good at football. I have a talent. This is my job and I'm not willing to waste it. I think that's a really important part of this story is that they're saying, I actually want to play the best football and I want to win trophies because I'm an athlete and it's got so bad that I'm willing to revoke my national team contract, which isn't just, oh, the glamour of playing for your national team and the, you know, the honour of wearing the shirt and putting the badge on, all that stuff. It's also financial. It's an income. Like they have contracts. They're paid for that. They're all willing to say... They're not paid the best players in the world. Like these women aren't paid like men's players are, so that they don't have that financial income in the in the clubs that they go back to and the sponsorship deals that they have. They're paid like fine, and they're willing to sacrifice a massive bit of their income to say this isn't good enough. I'm so, I'm so done with women having women athletes and women in general just having to be okay with mediocre men. Me- mediocre men, yeah. Like that that is what Jorge Vilda is. He's a mediocre man who got the job because his dad is in the federation. Yeah. And Hot also, factor, but factor in like these players know these players know how their federation react to them calling for better quality and for problematic managers. The previous manager that Jorge Vilda uh, replaced, Ignacio Quereda, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Oh, nice. Equally, really problematic guy. But the behaviours he conducted while he was in charge of the team, he was in charge of the team for a long time. And similarly, the players raised issues with this manager. Um, and the the federation basically stood by him and said that they weren't going to do anything about it until the press got hold of it and the press put pressure on them to get rid of him. And they did. So it's not like these players think, oh, this would be easy. We'll just like go to the federation and say, you know, we want to get rid of this manager, which they didn't actually say, despite what the uh, federation put out. We'll just get rid of this manager. It'll be really easy and the problems will be solved. They know they're going to up for a battle, which just adds more respect to the fact that they're taking this on. Absolutely. It's, it, it's an abuse of power by the Spanish federation. What they've done is use their power and their control to appoint Jorge Vilda, use their power and control to keep him in a role even when he's not performing in any other job. If you don't meet your KPIs, you're out. Done. You're, or you're on a performance plan. Or someone's trying to manage you and trying to get you to be better. No one cares. So he can keep 
being mediocre. He can keep underperforming, but power is what's protecting him. Leaking their emails is abusing their power. Yeah. These women are trying to use whatever power they have. And sadly, because they're athletes, the only power that they have is how they play or like them, them being willing to play. So they're using that power and saying, you know what, we're not going to do that for you. And then what also is the extension of the abuse of power from the Spanish Federation is what it does now is put so much pressure on the women who aren't part of that 15 and the young players that are now going to get called up in this week's squad announcement for the international break who will be there, they'll get the phone call, they'll be with their families and they'll go, it's a huge opportunity to represent my country for the first time. And that's the abuse of power there. That Creates says, division as mm. well. Exactly. And then so those players go and they're like scabs. They're 16, 17, mm. 18, but actually the power, they don't have much power in that situation because they've never played for Spain. And the, the phenomenon of playing for your national team is so ingrained as like a privilege that they're not going to turn that down. So what's, what's the Spanish Federation doing is just so abusive to these women in terms of how they're, how they're manipulating and using power. And I think if anyone is a football fan, you and hates the abuse of power in the game that you should be back in these 15 Spanish players with everything you have. You've seen it, Megan Rapinoe's come out, Alex Morgan. We have to support these women because everything's set up for them to fail. Mm. Like just for reference, some of the things that they've they've touched on um, ranges from, you know, poor management that we've, we've touched on, uh, insufficient training sessions, questionable team selections, a lack of tactical sophistication, a lack of ambition, poor management of injuries. Like these are all quite serious issues. There's also been talk of like all of their bedroom doors have to be kept open at night until they check that they're all in their rooms at night. I've read that, that they're like, if they go similar behavior, the previous manager, um, they, like they have to be checked that they're all in their room and then the door is closed. Like it's a real kind of controlling Jesus. environment. Um, now, look, these are all things coming out in the in the news. I'm not claiming that I know these things for fact, but this is the the stuff that I'm reading in the media. So there's a real feel of control, not just within the team, but within the federation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's quite a, a real sense of cronyism and, and nepotism, um, which again just adds more to the fact that they were like, "Fuck it, we have to, we have to do this." Like, imagine knowing what you're going up against. Yeah. Um, but I think it just sets a really dangerous precedent for young girls and young boys, or anyone who is facing any kind of abuse in and around the Spanish football setup. That even if you you know, speak to your federation, even if you continue to keep things behind closed doors for the meantime, even if you stand with all of your players, and these players are world-class, international, top, elite athletes, even if you are in that subsection, you still won't be listened to, and they're still going to call for your resignation if you don't apologise to them. That I mean, nothing about the federation's response has been, oh, we'll investigate this, we'll look into this, we, we want to understand your concerns, we want to have you know, constructive discussions with you. It's been a blanket. You don't boss us around. We boss you around. Be quiet, apologise and get back to doing your job. Do you think they've completely underestimated the global reaction and press on Yes, this? because they obviously don't value women's football. So they, they obviously don't think the it's... the temperature. No, and, which is wild given they've got the best players in the world... I just don't think that they've really think it's that big a deal. Maybe they could all just like form their own republic and like play <gasps> for their own team. Okay. They just call like, I don't know, Patelis FC. Just calling for a revolution then? Yeah, just all just yeah. like all go and get Catalan citizenship and start like on the Catalan Oh, that's a whole kettle of fish. Jesus, that is not, that is Some not Some of them what... are Catalan, aren't they? There we go, go and play for Cat- Catalonia. We don't need like a super Catalonian team suddenly entering the World Cup and smashing everyone out. Like that's not, that's not what we need Pep right now. Pep could manage it. <laughs> 
<laughs> It'd be unreal, wouldn't it? I was thinking when you were saying, okay, what, what would happen if it actually if they actually had a decent set of management? I was thinking, what would happen if you had the Spanish national team run by Serena Wiegman? Like in my mind, I was like, oh, wow. don't, don't, it, don't it, put that like, idea out there. Yeah. Take it back. It's like a Sorry. transformer. Charlie, cut that out. We don't want anyone getting that idea. Serena, yeah. we need you. Stop. Yeah, don't, don't, go anywhere, don't please. do that. But I think, you know, there's been a lot of hot takes made about this. You know, I've seen people say that this is ridiculous that players are trying to get ousted a manager. It should never happen, blah, 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 blah. And it really feels like none of these people have actually done any research into it. I looked why it's actually happening. If 15 players decide, it's not two or three or four, it's not like some subs who aren't getting started. Mm. 15 of your core group of players, that should be alarm bells ringing. Yeah. That there's clearly a major issue that needs addressing. Like putting it into perspective, if Mo Salah, Darwin Nunes, like... Jordan Henderson, James Milner. I'm making this because I'm a Liverpool fan. They're probably the only team I could name 15 cool. men from at the minute. <laughs> we understand. Right? All of them, right, in the Premier League, when we're writing our letters to to the club and so we're not going to play anymore. And and Klopp, I mean, obviously, it's, this is a shit example. Go on, see it through though. Go on, see it through. <sighs> and, then, and then, like, the Liverpool board came out and were like, they've got to apologise or they're not playing. And, like, can you, can you imagine the uproar and, like, the national... Culture and sentiment being like, well, obviously they must, they must, they must have a point. Like that's where we have mm. to take these women seriously. Yeah, we have to take them seriously. And like any criticism about why they're doing this, you do not risk your career, your reputation, and your income for nothing. You you have to take mm. them seriously, and you Amen. have to support them. Yeah, I mean, these are women who are at the absolute top of their game. Leon Bonmati, Pina Basel, uh, Garcia. Um, obviously, nice. I love that you did Garcia, Garcia, but you said battle right yeah. before. <laughs> How do you say on the battle? With I a... think it's Baje, is it? Batil. But it's it's not it's not it's, it's like battle. It's like Baje or something. But I just thought it was funny they went battle. Garcia. Garcia's <laughs> a nice one though, isn't it? I've butchered that, haven't I? Um, but what I was gonna say is obviously you know Pateus, um, you know she wasn't one of the ones who. Um, you know, sent this uh, letter, email, um, but obviously she did share it. She did share what her, her teammates has, had said and uh, obviously she's not due for selection anyway due to her injury. But, you know, you've got a Ballon d'Or winner out here uh, repping her teammates, um, you know, saying, you know, we need to believe them. We need to, um, you know, get the message out and what's happening isn't okay. So, yeah. Will he are... go? Will he go? Uh, um, no. No, I think... I don't think he will. I think there's too much in that federation Um they clearly don't respect their women's team enough or value them enough. And that's what I think is worrying. It depends. It depends how the media, if the media turn to them, they did it last time. Maybe they will. Um, but I think that's the big issue. Like we think about how you improve relationships with players and federations. I think you need a federation that believes in their team first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, I don't know how you improve that relationship. So, so yeah. It's completely rotten to Agreed. its core and it's so sad. But the problem with institutions is when the people making the decisions are so far away from the context. Mm-hmm. Dulwich is great because the club, the chairman's around a lot. We see mm-hmm. him. The board's close to it. He gets us as players. We know who he is. As soon as your federation is over here, I'm gesturing for a podcast. Nice. She's gesturing <laughs> high yeah. up in the air. If you're, if when your federation's so over here and your, your context is so far removed from the players living their life every single day, it's really hard to have empathy and it's really hard to understand what it must be like. So how do you... It's, it's they don't care about women's football in Spain. They don't. They're not bothered. So they're just living in their little crony towers of like all their mates giving each other jobs, and then they don't care about what it's like to actually be Patelos and be out with an ACL injury and start struggling. They don't care about what it's like to be all those players on, on a battle. Nice, like, you know. So it, I think that distance is really hard. I don't know if you've had 
similar experiences or not? No, I mean, Spanish Federation, if you're listening in, uh, the they impact... They don't care about women's football. They're not listening. <laughs> Please listen in, Spanish Federation. This is a personal announcement to the Spanish Federation. Please listen to the last five minutes of Spanish, this podcast then. because uh, it, it's just a prime example of what you can do and the positive impact you can have when you listen to your bloody players. Um, yeah, that's that's for you. But also, can I just say, you shouldn't have to be like the best players in the world to have to get what you deserve yeah. like no. the fact is that they are they are unbelievable they've got they should be the best team in the world but that doesn't that you don't have to reach that level in order to be treated properly by your federation agreed it's, just, it's like women constantly have to justify our existence in spaces or justify why we're asking for something and that's why I think this is just wicked because it's just like we're not going to one we're not going to justify ourselves and two we're not going to put up with mediocrity anymore we're not here for it like we're elite players and we want elite treatment. And women's football will rally around them as well, which I think is brilliant. I hope so. I just think we need some links to the Spanish press, guys. Do we have any? Gosh. It seems like that's the only way that's going to create some any, any change for them. I've seen some some good articles of late from the Spanish press, from Spanish reporters about it in a positive light in kind of calling out the cronyism and nepotism in, in the Spanish Federation. So That's promising. Yeah. God, what a lovely note to end on. Thank you, guys. Um, I mean, before we end that up, like, obviously I can't, leave the podcast without talking about all the amazing work that you're doing, Salon, um, with Football Beyond Borders. I mean, incredible organisation. I saw you guys up and down the country at all of the Women's Euro Games. Massive groups of girls, excited as hell to be watching some of their idols on the pitch. You know, going down, signing autographs and yourself, your coach crew was down there as well. Um, yeah, talk to us a little bit more about your sort of girls programme and what you're doing there and sort of the vibe at the moment because it's just such an incredible charity. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, it's nicer. It's more refreshing to talk about than men than in Spain. power yeah. and ruining other women's li- <laughs> lives. On a positive note. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it's like a shit sandwich. We'll end up on, on the, <laughs> the nice bit at the end. Um, yeah, I've been at uh, Football Beyond Borders for four years now, which is quite wild. Mm. Um, I joined in 2018, and the charity had tried to work with girls over the years, but um, didn't really have the right people or the way to do it. Didn't really have a fully fed program for girls, so. I was kind of brought in, so I used to actually work on the FA Women's Strategy and um, I was brought in to really focus on our girls' programme and it has just been the best four years and such a privilege. Um, the work is about, we work with young people who are really passionate about football but disengaged in school and so many young people are disengaged in school and that's a product of so many different factors. So many young people growing up you know, and in poverty now, so many young people are have experienced adverse childhood experiences, uh, different instances of trauma, and that means that getting on in mainstream education can be quite difficult for for a lot of young people now. Um, and we come in at year eight um, when they're 11, 12 years old, and we work with them for four years. We're not really like in for 12 weeks and then disappear. We know the power of kind of young people having trusted adults that throughout their lives that a lot of these young people might not have. And football is a beautiful way of building relationships. And what we talk about at FPB is like, we are all about relationships. And we ultimately, our end outcome is providing them with, supporting them to access the two things that they really need to, to do the next steps. One, their GCSEs in English and maths. So that's why we work with them from year eight to year 11. We support them with their, their attainment. And two, the social and emotional skills in life that allow you to then go on and build beautiful relationships throughout your life. So, and we don't just prioritise one over the other. We're not like, we're just about attainment or we're just about these social emotional skills. We, we know that they go hand in hand. And I just worked, finished working with a group of girls for four years. Um, and I was lucky enough to be with them on GCSE results day at their school oh, in Croydon. Wow. Oh, I didn't, 
I did my final session before the summer. And these girls, like, yeah, I met them when they were 12 and now they're 16. And I've grown, like, two years of that has been a pandemic and I was on the phone to them every day during a pandemic. Like, how much I know about their lives and then what we have been through as a group is mad. They're like sisters to me. And I got to stand there on GCSE results. I'm going to get emotional now talking about it. But, and it was, yeah, a lot of them didn't come with their families as well. Um, so I was kind of like the mum with them. And they, all of them did really, really well. And they got their GCSEs in English and maths. Uh, They're all going off to different colleges and one's going to an art college. One's actually doing sport and playing in a football academy, like who never liked football when she was 11 and now is like loving it. One got like nines and eights and like wants to go to Oxbridge. And like it was just this mad, beautiful experience to be there with them and see what the impact of a trusted adult and like an environment that really believes in you, which is so different to all the things we just talked about, right? But like an environment that tells you that you're important, you matter, you have things to add to this world and we will be here for you no matter what. So that's what we try and do. And we're doing it now with 2,000 young people across London, Manchester. Uh, we just started in the West Midlands. But I'd say like one of the best things about FPB is that it, it feels like a movement and we really want to create that sense of movement and anyone can be part of that. You don't have to be a 12-year-old, 13-year-old just to, or on our, one of our programmes. Like come to our events, come and feel it because it's a movement that just backs young people and says that young people have something to give to this world and adults would learn so much more and the world would be such more beautiful and creative and fun place if we really took young people seriously so yeah I think I'll I'll pause there because wow. I'm going I'm to cry in a minute <laughs> inspirational that's man. probably the most beautiful thing that's ever been said in this booth <laughs> That is honestly the most heartwarming, gorgeous thing. That's incredible. Like listening to you talk, like actually be there to see someone to help shape their journey as well and actually be there on what's one of the most important days of their lives so far. Um, And know that you've actually played a part in it as well must be quite powerful. That's huge. They they always had that within them. Yeah. And they were just in a system that didn't let them realise it. Mm -hmm. And whether that was school or whether it was home or whether it's this society and this government telling them that they don't matter and they don't have things to say, like... The, you never underestimate the power of just listening to a young person and being there and saying like you're important like I, I'm, that's a that's a really you've made me think about that differently or oh, I was thinking about that between now and last week and I told someone about what you said like, that's huge mm-hmm. for a young person who may not feel listened to in a society that doesn't prioritize that so they always had those things within them I always knew they have that capability and potential. They just need that environment and sometimes that little reassurance that like they can do it. And then to see them do it on GCSE results there was just mad. That we have, and you know, I'm obviously biased because I just talk about our girls and have really been invested and led our girls program for the last four years. But we had some boys like one of our sickest stories this year is a boy called Jaden, who um he was like one of these classic boys at school who just didn't really think it was cool to be clever until FBB came along and he was in a room with like some of these boys who were really smart in that space and it's kind of a mixed group and um he then started to really reframe it. he used to get in loads of trouble and, and that sort of thing but he opened his results day envelope and you can see a post on our instagram um he got like four nines three which is an a star star by the way it's like <sighs> thank god you got you, like three eight yeah i translated that yeah, I I was like, god, irish school system i was like <laughs> why are you getting numbers a star stars a stars and ace was all Jesus. he got across the board and this was a boy that literally was like the school were like, no, he he's not going to maybe wow. get his GCSEs. And he was like, I realised it was cool to be clever because FBB and like the adults and, and FBB really reframed that for me. The impact so, that you've had, you completely changed that young man's journey. That's, I mean, I, I couldn't think of anything more powerful to yeah. 
to end on. That's well, I mean, I'm nominating you for our hot seat hero because that is <laughs> unreal. Get one of our young people in, nominate them. They're yeah, amazing. can we just clip up this end bit and put that out? Yeah, 100. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, we we should actually do that. Thing. I think we're actually gonna. Producer Charlie, uh, I'm going to make a request. I think we're going to get, need to get some Football Beyond Borders young people in to discuss their experiences. I love that. That is coming up. That is for sure happening. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's absolutely beautiful and yeah. so heartwarming and such a lovely thing to Just when we were feeling despondent, on. you know, yeah. this is a much better way of ending the podcast. Give power to young people. Let the Spanish Federation be run by young people there. Our ideas are so much better and more inclusive. Let's, that's, that's the lesson. Amen. Just, what a message. All right. Well, thank you for listening in to Upfront. A quick announcement about our bonus pod coming out on Thursday here on the Upfront feed, which you two were both involved in. Uh, Rachel, what did you do, what did you get up to at the uh, the North London Derby? I heard you two were very very busy. Yes, there is an excellent in motion collective along with Arsenal put together an event um, about making history about looking at the impact of the Euros, about looking at culture in women's football and identity in women's football and things we want to change, things we want to keep things we want to improve on, ideas. Um, and I was a, a bunch of people in a room before the um, before the actual match kicked off. Um, and me and I had a panel and we kind of chatted through um, some of those topics. We, we had like a bit of some questions, Q&A from the audience as well. And then um, I went off to the match, but, you know, there was food and there was like stations for people to give their ideas about like, where they see women's football from a fan perspective, from a club perspective, what they want for the players themselves. And it Can was we just, just um, skip back a little bit because you're missing out the point that you made your hosting debut <laughs> and absolutely bloody smashed it absolutely. at the NLD. So let's just let's just whoop whoop that, mate. Come on. Thank you. And you can it. listen to it. Yeah, it's, it's a pod. It's going to be a pod. It's going to come out. So you guys will get to experience it too. It was brilliant. Really good day. Well done, you guys, for putting it on. Strong. Well done for hosting. You were you were brilliant. My God, it's a love in, guys. God, this, this is best just, the God, I just want to hold hands and give each other a hug. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where are we going to be this weekend? Obviously, a, a big, uh, big weekend coming up. Uh, Salam, what are you up to? On a one match ban, mate. Oh, <laughs> that's awkward. Whoa, let's supposed to be playing in the FA Cup, and I. So, whoa, <laughs> against who? Uh, we got Tunbridge. Someone. It's like the second round qualifying away. <gasps> I'm going to swiftly move on. Rachel, Ooh, what uh, are you up to? God. Uh, I'm off to Amsterdam tomorrow for Champions League. See Arsenal against Ajax. And then it's Conti Cup this weekend as well. Lovely. I will be over in Bristol uh, for the first uh, Conti Cup game with Crystal Palace. Uh, another big away game. So that'll be fun on the bus with all the uh, young, cheerful Crystal Palace players. Um, <laughs> if you've got any questions for us, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Morgie underscore 89 or at Girls on the Ball or at Sail on Andy. And that's Andy with an I, not a Y, people. Uh, we'll see you next week. Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 